Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, you'll hear from Janet, the president of the VNCA. Janet's from New Zealand, currently living in Perth, and is a lecturer in vet nursing at South Metropolitan TAFE. Janet's been nursing for 20 plus years and has multiple qualifications, including a Bachelor in Veterinary Nursing and an Associate Degree in Adult and Vocational Education. Janet's career has taken her all over the world, including specialising in emergency and critical care at the Royal Veterinary College in London. Janet recently travelled to the VMX conference in Orlando, Florida, as the only international recipient of the Dr. Earl Rippey Veterinary Nurse Leadership Scholarship. This scholarship recognises veterinary technicians and nurses who demonstrate leadership abilities and make a positive impact on the growth of the profession. When you hear about Janet's involvement with the VNCA and the upcoming launch of the AVNAT scheme, it'll be obvious why she received this scholarship and was then treated like vet nursing royalty at VMX. Janet's had a massive year at the helm of the VNCA and I can't wait to see what she does next. As always, head to radiovetnurse.com for links to everything we discussed. Hey Janet, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thanks, Kat, for having me. I'm really excited to be able to um, have a chat with you today. Me too. Um, I'm just going to jump in with, I know you've got a crazy schedule. Do you listen to any podcasts? I have not been a big podcast person, uh, but I have had a few podcasts that I have kind of been suggested uh, to listen to. Um, mm. So it's been my on my schedule to try and change the way that I go to work uh, to be able to listen uh, to more podcasts. Yeah. Can you think of any that were recommended to you? I had a couple um, that were called, uh, one was by Holly Ranson, who's a uh, more of a leadership uh, young leader. She's like, um, worked for Richard Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson's amazing. I read a lot of his books before we opened Ready Vet and I really like his um, his attitude towards business and how he's pretty ballsy, I think. So if anyone who's worked for him is probably going to have a great podcast. Yeah, Holly Ranson is uh, an amazing leader within uh, young people. She is asked to lecture all over the world and mm-hmm. she has some amazing kind of leadership podcasts that she um, she does. I think it's either on a weekly basis. So that's one of the, the main kind of characters that I've been uh, trying to get to listen to. And of course, yourself, all of your podcasts, yep, they're on yep. my list to listen to. <laughs> Do you drive to work at the moment? At the moment, I drive to work, but I ha- I can get the train. So yeah. um, either or, I'm, I've just got to try and I'm not very tech savvy, so I need to have a little no. bit of a play and get get myself no. sorted. You need to find a millennial and get them to Bluetooth your mobile to your car so that you can listen while you drive. That's it. So I've got that far. I could do that. But <laughs> just I've got to work out how to actually download and and get the podcast <gasps> playing. So oh, I'll go. I'll get yep. you sorted with that. That's fine. I got you back. <laughs> so Thanks. where are you? Where are you from? And where do you currently live? So I am uh, originally from New Zealand. I am now currently living in Perth. 
um, my background was always within an animal or farming background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always kind of known what I wanted to, to do since I was young. Um, so it took me travelling eventually um, all over the world uh, to do vet nursing and mm-hmm. eventually I have now landed up in Perth. It's a beautiful part of the world. So I can see you were you were travelling around the UK and you um, you also locumed at uh, the Royal Veterinary College in London, specialising in emergency critical care. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I was so fortunate to be able to locum there. I was there for a year um, off mm-hmm. and on throughout my travels. So it was really good fun just to be able to step up. They always put the newbies in diagnostic imaging um, mm-hmm. and then we worked mm-hmm. our way uh, through all of the various areas and I got into the emergency critical care area and absolutely loved it. It was mm. just amazing mm. to be able to be part of that. That's a pretty um, difficult area to start the newbies in, isn't it? Diagnostic imaging? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just holding holding all the cats and the dogs, so it wasn't too bad. Mainly in that for like ultrasounds yeah, um, yeah. or yeah, that, that side of things. So they had like a uh, CT suite, so you'd either be okay. um, helping the vets with CT, you'd mm. also be in radiography, radiology and then also in the ultrasound area. So, yeah, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, we, because it was a university, we had all of the, the vets, students there as well mm-hmm. so probably mm-hmm. not too much um, emphasis was put on us uh, being out of our depth because we always there was That's lots good. of people around um, holding and uh, assessing and learning and viewing so it was yeah. it was good fun. And then you ended up in Dublin before um, coming back to or coming over to Australia so um, and you were doing you were teaching over in Dublin as well is that right? Yes, my visa eventually ran out for my two-year working visa for England Um, and at that point I was not ready to come uh, home or go back to New Zealand so I found the next visa on the list that was accessible (laughs) which was Ireland Um, and eventually I did a few locum positions and eventually ended up at the Dublin University um, or University College Dublin Mm -hmm. and worked again with a lot of veterinary students. So that was the majority of the the work was um, teaching vet students how to take bloods, how to put in catheters, um, just generally overseeing them within the practice. And Mm -hmm. then they started a degree, veterinary nursing degree course. And at that point they asked if I'd uh, be interested in uh, doing a few of the lectures for the degree nurses. So oh, wow. uh, that's where my mm. real teaching kind of started. So it was good okay. fun. Yeah, awesome. And how did you initially get your foot in the door with vet nursing? Um, it, was a, it was a struggle. Even back when I first started, um, I initially did my training and it took me two years to get into a vet clinic. It was always difficult because it was back then – 20 plus years ago it was you were always kind of taken off the street as um, you know they someone that you knew so you'd go into work at the vet clinic and maybe didn't have any qualifications mm. um, whereas so and then they wouldn't those people would stay there because it was a great job to have so it was very difficult as a young newly graduated graduated 
vet nurse to, to get positions. Um, mm. And I actually started out as a veterinary receptionist yeah. um, two years mm. after qualifying as a vet nurse. Oh, wow. So um, I then worked my way up and was very fortunate to be able to step into a veterinary nursing position at that same practice um, after only about six months. Okay. So it was that's really how it all started from there. So from when you finished um, your qualification, there were two years where you were just trying um, and not succeeding until you actually got the receptionist position? Correct. I'd um, answer adverts and I'd apply and interview and um, it was always that I didn't do too many. Um, I was happy with the the little job that I had at the time so I wasn't out of work Um, Mm -hmm. but it was if something came up um, they they obviously at the um, uh, job possibilities uh, just Mm -hmm. they didn't arise that often so when they did there was always a lot of applicants uh, for those positions. Oh, I think it's a great example um, of just the importance of having tenacity. And I know, you know, for a lot of students, they, they get knocked back and knocked back, but you just have to keep trying, even if you are still working your other job for a while. And and I think also reception positions are a great way to get your foot in the door, even if you do want to be active nursing or nursing clinically. Um, there are a lot of practices where they just need um, someone to answer the phone. Even when I interviewed um, Hayley from Animal Emergency Services, you know, she said, uh, you don't need to be a vet nurse to be answering the phone. So you can even be doing that while you're studying and then um, you build up more experience on your resume to either, as you did, work up within that same practice or, you know, have experience when you start knocking on other doors. So, yeah, good on you for for your persistence. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And where do you work now? What do you, what's your role and what do you do from day to day? So I am currently a uh, advanced skills lecturer with TAFE in uh, Perth. We are a uh, government uh, f- subsidised, funded, um, a governmental department as such with um, teaching veterinary nurses and that is my daily job is literally getting our Cert 4 students through to graduating. Oh, wow. And... Do you do some, I know when we were emailing to to line up this interview, you said you had surgery one day. So you actually doing uh, live surgeries there and getting getting them into assist, students into assist? We're so lucky at our um, facility because we have an on-site veterinary clinic. Uh, So we have, yeah, it's brilliant. We have a clinic uh, where the students are involved in the consultation with the vets and they also do all of the uh, reception and the filing and the uh, putting all the notes on the computers. Um, They draw up all of the vaccines and they give the uh, tablets and they do the TPRs and things like Mm -hmm. that. And then we also uh, work quite closely with the local RSPCA over here and also members of the public who come into our facility Mm -hmm. for, it's not uh, reduced prices. We charge what a normal vet clinic would charge for spays and castrates. We just don't do any of the, um, the real interesting cases, which is unfortunate for me, but great for the students. It's, it's, the kind of simple 
dog spays, cat spays, um, neuters, and maybe a few lumps and bump removals, um, maybe a few ear uh, or eye operations. But we are definitely limited to what we can do time-wise with the students with surgery and also then getting classes and lectures done as well. Yeah, absolutely. we're, We're really lucky. Yeah, that's great. That's an invaluable experience for for them to actually be able to see live surgery because some nurses, when when we have them start on day one or day two or they're in for work experience, they'll get it a little bit faint just on that first day. And I think it's more because it's overwhelming when it's your first time seeing a spay or something. And I know they'll be fine afterwards when they get used to it, but then they've got that anxiety too of starting a new position. So it would be good just to get that out of the way somewhere else. That's so true, yes. We we do um, send them out to work practice as well. So they do have one day in work prac and then they, they have our clinic as well. But at least it gives them that opportunity if in work practice they don't get straight into surgery. Um, yeah. They start quite quickly with us uh, and get, get in. They get to just have a see and feel for if it's really what they're wanting to do. Um, um, and then, yeah, if they have those little faint spells, they uh, learn how to deal with them and, and what yeah. they need to do to address them. So yeah, and deal with good, them with yeah. people that they're sort of more relaxed around rather than like, oh, no, I've wrecked my new job. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, it's so, totally fine. I'm always like, on your first surgery, look, but don't look. And don't be a hero. If you're going to faint, get out. <laughs> That's it. Oh, I'll never forget the first time I fainted. And I guess it's quite good because I can um, relate and tell all of my stories, my bad stories of what not to yes. do to the students that I've done. But my first um, story was I turned to look out the window of a hor- It was a cat that had been missing for weeks and it was maggot infested and oh. horrible wounds all over it and it was making noise and I just thought, okay, I'm going to look out the window and then next thing I'm on the floor and the vet's holding my legs up and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, uh, you fainted. I was like, oh no, that's embarrassing. Uh, that's the thing about so, fainting. When you come to, you always think you're just a, about to faint or you're just starting to feel a bit sick yeah. and you've already yeah. passed out. That's the one thing I always say. As soon as I wake up from fainting, I say to someone, I'm going to faint. (laughs) They're like, you just did. You've already done it. Oh, you do get used to it. I'm ashamed to say that my, probably my first and only uh, fainting episode was when we first opened and I really had had no exposure except for going to the vet as a kid. And I'd always been a bit funny around needles and that sort of thing. And I was helping Matt with an after hours surgery and it was very minor. It was just a little stappy that fell off a ute. He was just um, freshening some edges and stitching them up, but he needed me to, 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 um, to, to flush uh, the wounds. And I was just sort of not looking and he was like you need to look you're not getting it actually in there so I looked and I'd be like I've got 10 seconds before I'm going to faint and he'd be like right and we'd count down and then I'd like put the flush down and run to the room across the hall and just lie on the floor and then I'd come to in about a minute and like splash water on my face get a fruit box and I'd go okay I'm ready go back in to another oh one oh my goodness yeah yeah and oh that's brilliant see it's yeah. how we deal with things we just carry on yeah yeah. And eventually like I can now look at anything, but that time I was like, man, I just got to get up. Like there's nobody else that can do this. So uh, don't, yeah, feel bad. Yep. don't feel bad if you feel faint <laughs> at work. I think most people have been there. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best part of your job? I think for me personally is um, the satisfaction of graduating students at the end. Um, mm. I love the little cards that you get um, saying how you have influenced their um their learning, their career, their pathway of where they're wanting to go. And they're generally so grateful for everything that you've been able to pass on to them. So I think for me, that's, um, I am so happy um, when we have a whole bunch of students that actually get out into the workforce and know, I know that I've done the best I could do mm. to be able to get them ready for veterinary nursing. It really is a gift. I think it's a it's a tough qualification to to finish, but I mean that's for a really good reason. We definitely want it to be challenging, and we definitely want to know we've got really competent nurses. And I take my hat off to anybody that finishes it, and I can see how rewarding it it would be to be helping people through. But that's not all that you've been doing, particularly for the last year, because you're also the current president of the VNCA, and you're involved with the VNCA on many levels, actually. And you've also got a lot of work coming up this year with the conference and launch of Avnat. So this year has been pretty crazy for you since last April, yeah? This year has been very crazy. Um, it's a good crazy. I think I'm a little crazy for doing it. <laughs> but um, I have I've really enjoyed uh, my year. I've enjoyed being involved within the VNCA and just being able to really try to influence people Um when I first started at the beginning of the year as president within my role, my whole um, discussion was being uh, transparent and also inclusive. And I, mm -hmm. I think I can walk away at the end of this presidency uh, knowing that I have, I've achieved both of those things, um, particularly with being inclusive around uh, allowing um or getting for, for the AVNAT scheme or the um, Australian Veterinary Nurse and Technician Scheme that we're launching, we've had to change and involve a lot more of the qualifications from other areas. Mm -hmm. um, so outside of Australia, um, also inside Australia with our technicians as well. So for me, that was uh, a really big achievement to be able to uh, have included a lot more than just nurse, veterinary nurses, but mm. also veterinary nurses who call themselves technicians or veterinary technicians, um, uh, as well as sitting on editorial committee and getting the journal out to all of our members and trying to make sure that we stay relevant and uh, keep exciting information going through the journal. Um, it's, it really has been a busy year, but I've, I have enjoyed it. So Yeah, your dedication to the journal is amazing. And then at the start of the year, you also travelled to America. I'm just looking here, you you won a scholarship, the North American Veterinary Community Veterinary Nurse Leadership Scholarship, and it was recognising you as a nurse that's demonstrated leadership abilities and made a positive impact on the growth of the profession. And they, they sent you to a veterinary meeting and expo in Orlando, Florida. Correct. I was so honoured to receive that. 
Um, it was the Dr. Earl Rippey Scholarship, Leadership Scholarship, um, and I was the first international nurse to receive it. Wow. They had uh, previously opened it up to domestic um, and international, but I think they had um, domestic people apply for it. And this year was the second year that it's been running. And I put my name forward and uh, was so amazed when I received uh, the email to say that I had um, received the scholarship and would be funded to go to the world's, I'd say it, the world's largest veterinary conference, veterinary and veterinary nursing conference in the world. Wow. Um, it was amazing. So nearly 20,000 people um, go to this conference every year. Yeah. Oh so my gosh. it was so big that they had golf carts to get through uh, the conference uh, industry area uh, to move people from one end to the other. It was oh, it was amazing. That's it was crazy. incredible. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been to one international conference, um, the Wasava Conference in Bangkok, and I cannot recommend an international conference more highly. Um, it's just such a buzz, isn't it? Just people from different clinics all over the world and, uh, you know, amazing lecturers and presenters. It's um, something really worth doing and you can make a holiday out of it too. It's, um, you know, a tax deductible holiday. Let's, um, you know, have, have a chat to your accountant and, and see if you can save up and go to one or um, like you have, put your name forward for you know, scholarships if you're, if you're doing things that um, ought to be recognized. And um, I can't imagine what that conference would have been like. It would have, would have been amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And as a scholarship winner, there was myself and two domestic um, nurses and we were literally treated like VIPs. So oh, really? any of the, um, the celebrity Evenings, so they had Brooke Shields and um, <laughs> oh, and Rob Lowe, oh, Rob Lowe, and Rob Lowe. <laughs> so he doesn't look like he's changed in years. I'm sure with all the um, the Botox that he's had, but he was a very good-looking man. Um, so we got to get yeah access into all of the those um, conferences and um, the, those specific areas, and we all kind of had our seats. Um, labelled up for us, and it was just it was it was just magic. Um, our names were posted all over the um, all throughout. There's, there was lots of different areas involved, obviously with that many people. So they had kind of a lot of TVs all over the place, and within the lectures, and they yeah, congratulations to the the veterinary nursing scholarship winners um, were were all over the place, and it was. It was just an absolute magical time. So if anyone feels that they are in a possible leadership position or could show leadership, I highly recommend um, just giving it a go uh, to – you never know. That was like me. I just thought you've got to be in it to win it. Um, and yeah, you've got nothing you to would, lose. Absolutely. That's it. And you can keep applying mm-hmm. um, until you receive it. <laughs> so they're like, so oh my God, she's it, applied I don't again. Get another opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's called the, the Dr. Earl Rippey Scholarship. It's, okay. it's just amazing. Um, and I would love for more places to offer scholarships for our nurses to be able to get um, 
to spread their wings a little bit and see what is available. But as you said, it's tax deductible and it's just mm. amazing opportunity to network and to meet other like-minded people and, and just get ideas off what they do. It's, it's really good fun. I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes so that um, people can can have a look at that and see if it's something they'd be interested in applying for. And with such a crazy year and so much on your plate, what's your routine when you wake up in the morning? How do you set yourself up for a winning day? <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> I, um, as, I, as I can, um, it takes me quite a long time to get to work. So I've got an hour's travel to get to to work so I have to be up and pretty much gone dependent on my lectures so if I have a late start I definitely would walk the dog uh, Mm -hmm. with my husband Um, otherwise if I've got an early start that's his job Um, but (laughs) I kind of think to be able to get up and get some fresh air and um, get some exercise under my belt it really starts off my day well Um, I'm a big believer with breakfast uh, so mm-hmm. I have a smoothie every morning um, with lots of vegetables and fruit and things and um, uh, yeah that's really my routine I don't have I don't have too much because it's a get out of bed and and get get going so I'm a fan of the afternoon smoothie but the only vegetable I put in mine is spinach what vegetables are you putting in your smoothie Oh, I use bok choy, celery, nice. which I try to grow myself so you don't uh, avoiding all, any chemicals or pesticides. Nice. Um, I put in a little bit of ginger, a little bit of cucumber, uh, and spinach is the other one as well. So, oh, and carrot, and then some banana and um, and orange. It's lovely. Awesome. I love getting smoothie tips. I'll have to try that. <laughs> <laughs> And what weekly or daily habit makes your life better? Uh, I have, which I haven't done it for a while actually, and I feel that I must go out and do it. I enjoy running. Um, I think running makes me feel uh, happy. It gives me time to be able to get out and think. Um, I'm not an amazing runner, but uh, I like to just go out and go for a jog when I can. Mm. and I, I often think, especially if I've been uh, quite stressed or had a, a really busy week or got a lot on my mind, um, I have found in the past if I do go for a run, it actually helps to to just process or not even think about anything. It just gets you away from doing um, and you can just go and burn off some calories and come back and feel a little bit more energized <laughs> so but I haven't done it for a couple of weeks and I'm I'm feeling it at the moment so yeah. uh, I just mowed the lawns before mm. I did this and I really um <laughs> I pushed it <laughs> I got a sweat up <laughs> oh that's good yeah anything that can get, get you get the sweat up and get some endorphins it's physical activity yeah my knees don't handle running but I'm the same with swimming if I can just get in and bust out a few laps and get puffed which doesn't take much these days I always feel better afterwards. I know. <laughs> that's it that's so true I think it's it's absolutely just gets gets things moving so yeah that's my my kind of my thing my go-to yeah yeah that's good and do you have any strange habits or superstitions I was actually thinking about this and I even asked my husband <laughs> have I got any strange habits 
<laughs> and even he couldn't really think of anything. Um, uh, I'm sure I probably do. And if you were to ask anybody else, I'm sure they'd be able to tell you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> unknown necessarily to me. Um, so, yeah, n- nothing really that's um, extraordinarily weird. Yeah. And do you have any superstitions when you're nursing? Like we've discussed with some um, other guests about people don't want to use the purple riprap or not saying the Q word, like, do you, or, you know, otherwise you'll get slammed with cases. Do you have any nursing superstitions? That's probably my, my only one is the Q word, but yeah. um, I'm just thinking I've got a pair of special or lucky scissors um, <laughs> that stay with me. <laughs> it's really weird. They've, um, do you know, everyone tends to lose pens and scissors and all of that. And so yeah. when I was nursing in England, I put a little small padlock on the end of one of my um, yeah. the scissor handles. And yeah. these uh, curved, blunt, blunt scissors have yep. been with me um, for well over 15 years now. Wow. And um, I haven't lost them. Yeah, and no one's taken them because if they have, I've been able to identify them. So oh, that padlock <laughs> says you mean business too, like... Yeah, totally. It's not just like a little labor saying <laughs> property of Janet. It's like padlock. No, it's, these are mine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I still have them in my pocket today. So Wow. And you probably get more anxious about losing them as time goes on because now it's not just any pair of scissors. It's like the scissors. The, the scissors, yeah. I'm probably quite lucky because I don't uh, – we are a very – a quite enough uh, practice that um, – yeah, no one would dare, I think, now. They know that they're mine. <laughs> you just have them on your desk just quietly growling at anyone that looks at them. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> or if I give them, loan them to someone, I'm kind of standing over them, twiddling my fingers, kind of going, yeah, I'll have those back now. So, uh, <laughs> so it's probably my weird, my weird quirk, I guess. The padlocked scissors, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> And can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that has positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? We haven't actually purchased it yet. So I, when I went over to America, um, I actually undertook the Recover BAL and um, so the basic life, or sorry, basic life support and advanced life support workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the online course, which is open to all of us over here, um, our Australian um, veterinary nurses, through the VNCA as a membership opportunity. And I highly recommend doing them. They are mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, so I did the actual certification course in America, and I also then did the instructor course. So that allows me now to be able to teach it over here as well. Oh, wow. And as part of that, um, we they kind of really showed them and used a lot uh, ECG. Um, so within our practice, we have a surgery vet and we basically, we use all of the bells and whistles, but we didn't often use ECG leads. Yep. So I came back saying we have to get ECG leads because they're just amazing, especially if something bad happens, you can really mm. tell what mm. is going wrong and how you can then treat it based on these ECG leads. So I have um, put in a submission to be able to get those and they are on currently on order. So I've seen them and how important they can be. Mm. And now that we, mm. uh, we will be able to get them into the practice and really get the students to use them on a daily basis. Um, we had a very 
uh, old ECG machine which we'd try and use with the students and it, it wasn't always that great. So hopefully now with these new ones coming, we will absolutely be able to use them all the time. So I'm very excited about that. And that's another really good reason to try and make it to a conference because I will often have the last page of my conference book or my conference notebook will be things I want to implement after this. And you always find that new bit of equipment or that new protocol or whatever that you can see can improve things. And Matt and I try and do walkthroughs of other vet surgeries as well. Like if we go to Melbourne or Sydney for a wedding, we'll contact someone and say, can we have a walkthrough and just um, see what they're doing? Because otherwise it's, it's impossible to know like, oh, ECG leads are actually invaluable. Let's let's start using those. So agree. And especially if it's something that you can attach to a piece of equipment that you already have. So it's not like you actually yeah. have to go out and you practice spend thousands and thousands. It's just literally a lead that will attach. Um, and knowing that it can make such a difference, um, it, it can be so important. And I definitely, even to all of our students, definitely say to them, if, if you've got things in your practice that sit in the cupboards, ask your nurses to get them out and play with them. You know, just, mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt or um, be, be a problem or shouldn't be a problem. Um, mm. It's just, you know, start trying to use all of the, the things that you've got uh, because, yeah, they can make a difference um, and it, it can be an invaluable learning experience as well. Yeah, lots of practice. I'd love to know your thoughts with Recover. Um I think about this sometimes if we're able to um, revive a patient or able to to use recover guidelines um, so that a patient who is crashing will survive and be able to be treated. Um, it's such a short window of time to get the consent of an owner. And I sometimes think about, and maybe it's because up where I am, it's um, probably, well, we, I know it is a lower socioeconomic demographic. I sometimes think about a client who the patient then lives and then we say, okay, now we're going to do this um, three, $4,000 snake envenomation treatment. And they say, oh, God, I didn't think about that. Maybe it would have been better if they didn't make it. Like it's – I, I, I want to know how to address that by having a protocol that everyone's aware of that we have to jump straight in with this client and be um, letting them know what the various sort of outcomes of this situation will be and what the costs may be if we're able to um, resuscitate them. And the, there's not always a vet available available at that time. Sometimes people just pull up in a car and they're in and you're like, oh, what are we doing? So do, do you have any experience or thoughts around that? I think based on um, the information that you get from doing the actual online course, it's it is invaluable, the information, because I think we so often um, we don't either deal with a crashing patient that often. So when we when it does come to us, we probably go, oh, my God, what do we do? Mm. Um, And that's where Recover has come up with this instructor course, because they're trying to get where clinics are on a regular basis undertaking training to work together as a team and know basically what the guidelines are and then for all team members. So this is receptionists and everyone within the clinic feel comfortable with taking on a role when you do have a crashing patient. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just 
I was I really enjoyed doing the workshop. I felt it was amazing. Um, they did say, however, something that is under anaesthetic, the chances are if you pick it up early enough that it's crashing, you can generally get it back. So I think it was something like 50% of anaesthetic-induced uh, uh, CPR cases as mm-hmm. such or needing CPR, you can get them back to where they actually walk out and go home. Mm-hmm. But other situations, and I know over here we are, um, unfortunately, we have so many, you know, snake or horrible other things that are around. Um, the likelihood of animals actually recovering from those situations are, are quite slim. Mm-hmm. Um so I think from a protocol perspective, Recover really does suggest that when an animal is brought into the clinic as part of your admission form, you have a yes, we can uh, initiate CPR, mm. no, do not initiate CPR, mm-hmm. or um, uh, basically then they have a all systems go, we can basically open the chest and um, do in, in chest CPR. So they try to get that information as soon as possible from the clients and they do suggest in those admitting cases when you when you do admit is you mm-hmm. you say should something happen mm. what do you want us to do so then you know as a as a team you can get straight into it and not wait um to then try and contact them although they do say with CPR you need to actually start compressions immediately even if you are trying to contact the owners um, mm-hmm. because if you don't and they say yes go ahead you've you've lost valuable time but that's a great way around it I can see because I mean we have a similar form when clients are going away um, on on holiday we have a form that says who is making the decisions for your pet if we can't reach you can we reach you what is your budget that you want to spend if someone brings your pet in so that we're not sitting there going oh we don't have consent we don't know what their limit is we know exactly what their instructions are and that just sits on their file forever and uh, you could do that as well with the you know resuscitation form and you could do it even at, at an early puppy appointment or you could do it at an annual health check like at a time that they're not getting admitted just even have the forms on the bench you know so that owners can see oh yeah I want to fill out one of these and then they can have it scanned into the patient file and then you can even just have a tick box on the admission forms or the surgical charts for patients saying whether they are um, whether they're you know DNR or R so that that's a great way around it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's it is one of those things. If you can uh, minimise the time that's wasted in mm. trying to find out that information, um, then any way that you can that you can get that pre-sorted, um, it, it's important to have that knowledge um, or that that information so you can get straight on and and deal with what you need to deal with. So is this Recover course, did you say it's it's part of um, what's available to VNCA members? Yeah, so it's currently a, a member benefit of the VNCA. Um, it's, I feel, I think it's about $50, um, which is a reduced rate for veterinary nurses to actually undertake it. So it's a, you undertake a basic life support and advanced life support online course. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we can get over here in Australia at this point because we don't often have the courses for 
certification available and because there is only a few, a handful of people in Australia that can instruct uh, those courses or carry out those actual um, manual hands-on um, workshops. Mm-hmm. So even even with that, I still, I learned so much or relearned so much um, just by doing the online course. It's, it's very factual mm-hmm. um, and takes you right back, the basic side of things takes you right back to anatomy, even just the basic working of the heart um, and all of the way that they have set the course up. It's it's informative, it um, helps you to work through, you have a little test at the end of each module and um, you might work through three or four modules and it's also a in a CPD, so continuing mm-hmm. professional development, uh, and it, you know helps to work towards people continuing to advance themselves. It's it's quite a, a good opportunity for them. So this is one of many reasons why it's such a good idea to be part of or to be a member of the VNCA. We call them the benefits of belonging. And at the moment, there's, you know, obviously there's this course which is available at a discounted rate, but there's also the VNCA conference coming up on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of April. And obviously tickets are cheaper if you're a member. And then there's also the uh, launch of Avnat and the registration is cheaper if you are a VNCA member. And it's just also important for vet nurses all across Australia to sort of rally together and be part of this organisation where we're advancing ourselves as a profession. So um, Avnat is launching on the 1st of April, is it? Yeah, so we thought that we'd put it forward a couple of days um, before conference. So our whole, well, our hope is that people will uh, have a little bit of a look at what it's all about and then we know that we are going to have a lot of questions about the AVNAT scheme and mm-hmm. so we are hoping and we are providing at the conference uh, on the VNCA stand we have our kind of the people that have done the most amount of work and actually got this off the ground um, will be there to be able to answer those questions. So the conference is going to be amazing. Um, mm-hmm. It's the the twenty fifth mm-hmm. year that it's um, it's been going for, so it's kind of it's a big one for us. Um, and just on that, I just want to add, uh, I also sit on the Veterinary Business Advisory Group, mm-hmm. which is um, through or part of the AVA, um, where they do a lot with businesses, um, and they. Just talking to them, they had a conference or a summit in October and we were able to talk to a lot of practice managers whilst we were there and the amount of practice managers that said they have a CPD fund for their nurses who don't use it, um, mm. they they were asking us how can we get our nurses to use the money that's there or available mm. for them and I just want to mm. put it out there to everybody just ask your employers because you you never know you might have some kind of subsidy to be able to attend the conference, mm-hmm. um, and that's really mm-hmm. what we've covered today. Is you'll you'll have the opportunity to learn so many new things by attending, um, and you'll love it. Everybody loves going to the conference when they can, and if they're able to get there, 
Absolutely. And I think someone, I mean, as a business owner myself, I think someone should try and go every year. Obviously you can't send all of your nurses or there'll be nobody working that day, but if someone can go every year and it sort of rotates so that it's roughly equal, or if you have one nurse who's got family in Perth when it's on in Perth or one nurse who's got family in Sydney when it's on there, you can kind of let it be guided that way. That way. But yeah, a lot of businesses, us included, are very happy to pay for conference tickets. And I know a lot of businesses who then will get their nurses to do a presentation for the rest of the team when they come back. And I I never, ever leave a conference without bringing back loads of things to improve our business. So it's a great idea to send someone every year if possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many free things and there's so much exciting uh, opportunities. There's dinners, there's uh, a lot of trade stands that have so many things that you can win. Um, mm. It's it's a really fun time to go to. So hopefully we will have a lot of people attend our Brisbane conference um, and hopefully we'll have a lot of questions about the, the AVNAT scheme as well. So we're really looking forward to being able to launch that. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that too. And it's it's definitely not compulsory to register. So I guess some people would think, well, why would I pay to do that? But it's because we're trying to advance our profession and we're trying to to move towards um well, this will be self-regulation, um, but eventually, hopefully we can be registered nurses, but it's just because it brings a higher um, standard to to what we're doing because we've got all nurses with um, a, a similar level of uh, education and also a commitment to continuing their education and um, learning each year and adhering to or abiding by a code of conduct. So it's definitely not um, not mandatory, but it is great for, for us as, as a profession for as many people as possible to to stand up and and put their application in and say, yeah, I want to be part of this. I agree. Um, NWA, so we actually have a um, regulatory, um, we are regulated by the Vet Surgeons Board in WA and have been for many years. So we're the only state in Australia that is currently registered where Mm -hmm. vet nurses have to be qualified um, to be able to be vet nurses here. Mm -hmm. So I think it's uh, the minimum standard of where we were going, where we're going. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also puts us in line with our international counterparts. Um, Mm -hmm. I, when I was in Ireland, they were the first country to actually become uh, registered veterinary nurses and the UK followed suit very soon after. I know America is working towards it, but they have a similar issue to us in the fact that they have so many different states Mm. uh, to try Mm. to get on board. And that's where we have worked so hard with the state bodies and also all of the other um, Australian Vet Association and uh, all of a lot of businesses and people to kind of give us feedback and also the nurses themselves about trying to raise the minimum standards um, and improve the standards of practice within the veterinary industry. And by doing this and registering within this scheme, that's how we feel that we can actually achieve that. Um, And that's only going to provide better protection for our animals and their welfare. And also... Mm -hmm. um, the public will be able to see us as more of more paraprofessionals mm. and it will raise the awareness of the veterinary nurse within the industry. Um, so we feel that it, it is important 
from a professional standpoint to get behind this scheme and and really um, become professional in our own right as veterinary nurses. Absolutely. And I'll put a link in the show notes, both to the VNCA conference coming up in Brisbane and also to the ABNAT registration scheme commencing 1st of April, just so that anybody who maybe hasn't heard a lot about this yet can can have a good read about it and think and have a think about if it's something that they can get behind. But I'm really excited. We are too. I'm I'm <laughs> so over the moon. I'm so I'm really excited. I know it's it's been um I guess for me because I've had such a large part of the actual setup of it. So between mm. um Jasmine mm. Pengali, myself and also um our national office, uh we have put hours and hours and hours into trying to get this right. So um we hope so much that um, yeah, we have the support behind us to get this to eventually. Um, ultimately, we need the numbers. So once we have numbers in this scheme, it just shows that a lot of people are wanting registration. They want that uh, proof behind them to say that they are um, good at what they do and that they are ca- are accountable. They are happy to put themselves forward to be accountable for what they do, um, and then we can take that. To lobby that to government uh, to be hopefully you know one day become mandatory. That's so, it. Bigger and better things, yeah. But we'll aim for the moment. We'll just uh, look at self regulation. <laughs> yeah, self regulation first. And if if you're for vet nurses who are living in regional areas, thinking oh, I don't have access to CPD. If you're a member of the VNCA, there's loads of CPD that you can do webinars. You can do from your computer. So um, you know there's going to be no shortage of, of CPD events for people to be able to keep their skills up and their CPD points up, which which is great. That's right. We that's actually one of the probably the biggest um, worries that we have heard so far is how am I going to get my CPD points? And if you are a member of the VNCA, you actually uh, have access to twelve of the twenty points by being a member. So mm-hmm. um, from reading the journal access to the free webinars um, and undertaking those, 12 of those points are already achieved. So you mm. only have to find eight points um, from a, a, a very thorough list um, that will be available to you to, you know, to be able to access. So um, I think it's one worry that we have really tried to pay attention to to make sure that we can uh, reduce that for for people. And we understand that the nursing wage isn't high and that there can be fees that come with undertaking continuing professional development. Um, And that's why we have tried to provide a a huge chunk of these um, points that will be free for people. So hopefully that will help to reduce that. You can get points from doing other activities too, like reading a journal or listening to a podcast, that sort of thing, can't you? Yes, you can. You can get points for sitting on committees. You can get points for um, taking part at conferences. There's so many um, different opportunities. There's a lot of online webinars um, Mm. that are free that you can partake in, Um, uh, not to mention any companies, but um, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of online opportunities available. So Excellent. Now, Janet, can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory? This could be in a personal or professional capacity. Such a hard one. I've been trying to think of, um, of something in particular. Um, 
I kind of, I guess really it comes back to that whole right at the beginning of my career when I just couldn't get a job. Mm. Um, and it was, it was really just trying to be um, forward thinking, not let myself get down on the fact that I couldn't get the job of my dreams and something that I've always wanted to, to do. Um, and I guess in the long run, you know, it, it eventually paid off and now 20 two years down the track. Um, I'm president of the VNCA. I just won a leadership scholarship. I've um, I sit on the, the veterinary business group. I sit on many different communities and I, I feel, I kind of feel like I've absolutely turned that point in the road that could have taken me anywhere. Mm. Um, eventually I, I kept on and, and got, um, got the job that I wanted and it has really stood by me um, throughout my whole career. So I think that's probably, yeah, a big one. And it's such a common um, story amongst really high achieving vet nurses like um, Joe Hatcher had to apply to TAFE a couple of times and Sue Crampton had to sit her final exams a few times. And both of those people could have said, oh, I'm just not going to be able to do this. And same with you, you were trying to get a job for two years and all three of you have contributed so much to vet nurses in Australia and, and around the world really. So I'm just always really happy when I hear that, um, that people who are now, you know, really making a difference in our industry and who've had amazing careers just didn't give up. I, I really agree. And I think at the moment, given the numbers of veterinary nursing students that are coming through, it's such um, it's such a highly sought after qualification mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, I guess that's my advice is don't give up, just keep trying. And mm. if you have to volunteer or if you have to um, do what you can to be seen to be wanting it, um, you'll get it. It just yeah, takes time. So. It does. And as someone with a business, I know that it can just come down to the person in the right time at the right place. Like I might be saying, no, I don't need any resumes at the moment. No, we're all good. And then all of a sudden one day someone says, um, I'm pregnant or I broke my arm. And then all of a sudden you're like, where are the resumes? Yeah. I need someone. And so it doesn't <laughs> hurt to keep, you know, keep yourself at um, the forefront of people's minds, keep popping in and saying, Hey, I dropped my resume off, you know, a few weeks ago, I can email it again. If you like, I'm just popping in again to say hi. And if anything ever comes up, I'm really keen working my other job still, but you know, I'm here, like, let people know you're there. And I also tell people, um, look at what other skills you have and try and, you know, sell them as well so that you're not someone who's coming on as someone who is just needing to be trained. You're coming on as someone with a skill. So, you know, if you're really good at social media or content creation or drafting blogs or something like that, you can say, look, I've got this other skill that I can provide as well. So there's all sorts of ways to, to, to try and get your foot in the door. And the important thing is, is just to, you know, get back up and dust yourself off and try again. I can't agree more. I think um, for me, my advice that I tend to to give to my students, knowing that not all of them will get a placement at the end of their studies, is to do as much as you can that is continuing um, professional development with regards to how can you make yourself look better than someone else that's applying for the same position. Mm. So join the VNCA, go to all of the subsidised 
um, meetings that you can do as much online stuff and make sure it's recorded and put into your um, your resumes that you're handing in. There's many um, of our food companies that have um, online courses that yeah. you can become nutritional advisors. There's fluid therapy courses that you can understand more about fluids. There's there's so much available and I think you need to be seen to be um, wanting it. If you, you yes. kind of can't sit back and just hand in your resume and say, well, I've got a cert for it. It's not enough these days. Those, um, those courses are great. If somebody brought me their resume and they were already a nutritional advocate, I'd be like, oh, that's awesome because so many times the vet will prescribe a diet and then They've got to keep going with the next consult, but they need to explain to the owner, your dog weighs this, but potentially your dog should weigh this. And this is a diet that we should feed to ideal weight. And this is how many grams per day. And I'm going to show you in the cup and we want to start at this, but then two weeks later, get down to this and then they need to write it all out. It's really complex. So to have someone who can already do that um, on one of those free courses, it would be amazing. Absolutely. I think also that comes down to two, our current issue that we have within the veterinary industry is um, our lack of vets um, and mm. the worry that they're kind of currently undertaking that there is a lot of vets that are taking on uh, probably too much that is increasing their workloads. And I think from our perspective as veterinary nurses, the way that we can increase our uh, visibility and, and really step up to the paraprofessional role is by being able to do those kinds of of jobs, um, we are able to, with our training, you know, give nutritional advice. Um, mm. There's so many things that I feel we should be able to step up and help the vets out with. Um, and, and really it kind of comes back to this registration scheme that the more, you know, if we can show that we have registered uh, people that are working at veterinary practices, it will also hopefully help to take the workload off the vets as well. That's um, right. And they, they might allow us to do more. Yeah. And, and make clients less likely to say, that's great, but now I'd like to hear it from the vet. I want to see the vet. Yes, that's <laughs> it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, excellent. All right, Janet. Well, we might just take a quick break. And are you fine if we come back in a minute? Yeah, perfect. No worries. Awesome. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from you, if you like. So far, two corporate sponsors, ReadyVet and the Animal Industries Resource Centre, have kindly helped cover some of the costs of these free episodes. You can help too by scoring yourself some eco-friendly and oh-so-chic RadioVet Nurse merch. Head to my website, RadioVetNurse.com, and check out my glass reusable coffee keep cup, which you can take to your favourite cafe and save the need for single-use paper cups. Continuing in the theme of eco-friendly receptacles for vet nurse fuel, I've also got a lightweight, shatter-resistant glass water bottle. All with Radio Vetness logo, so we know we're in the club. Wink, wink. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Janet. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? I think the one piece of advice that I suggest to all my students is they need to be the duck. So by just being the duck, it means that you let all of the water run off your feathers and do not take anything too personally. Mm. Um, I think sometimes when we're in high um, uh, 
high stress situations, um, we can sometimes say things or do things that maybe aren't necessary um, or necessarily the the best or correct way and mm. I've always suggested that people should just do not take them personally that they need to just be the duck and carry on um, and hope that uh, that makes them stronger and more resilient. It's great advice. And I tell myself a version of that, which is be the whale. And I, I mean like whale and dolphin kind of noises, like, you know, those relaxation <laughs> CDs and you know, yeah. I just say, be the yeah. whale, be the whale. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. But it, awesome. it is, it is important because sometimes there's no time to sugarcoat something in, you know, if you're in surgery or you're dealing with a crashing patient, you can't be like, what you're doing is great, but please could do you actually do this instead? And, you know, you can't say that. You're just like, no, do it like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And even with us, we need to be able to stop students doing things. So if they're about to do something, we might go, ah, and make a, a yep. big noise or something. Yep. Um, no, 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 don't do that. But we're not mm. actually meaning it at them. We're just trying to stop them in their tracks. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, as you said, veterinary, uh, within the veterinary industry, we are um, – generally pretty straight to the point because we need to be and I think that's that sugar coating as you said we can't always be um making a sentence up with 20 words full of pleases and thank yous yeah in a high stress situation it's a get me the crash cut or get me this or that or the other so um yeah be the yes. duck be let the things duck. roll off and yep <laughs> and carry on and make sure that you debrief yeah, and know that it's not personal. And the duck's also great because the duck swimming across the water is, you know, smooth and yeah. calm and confident, but underneath nice they're just ripples. paddling like yep. crazy. Paddling really hard. Yes, that's it. So it's that, um, that full inside you might be feeling complete turmoil, yep. but outside you are showing like there is no problems at all. You've got this. Yes, yes. One of my old bosses in Brisbane, and this was in a law firm, he used to say that certain people were inverted ducks, which was really awful. So I'd, <laughs> as I'd be like, oh, but she's too busy to do that. I'll do it. And he'd be like, no, no, she's an inverted duck. And what he meant was that there was like lots of, you know, busyness and flailing on the surface, but underneath she wasn't really doing much. So <laughs> don't, don't be the inverted That's duck. Be the duck. Don't be the inverted duck. <laughs> Oh dear. And what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Break it down. Make it so it's not a big thing. Make it into many small things. And that then helps you to be able to address those little things at a time and be able to then achieve. So a lot of um, students that I found, they get so involved about the big picture. I've got all of these assessments due. I've I'm stressing I don't know what to do for this test. Um, so my my biggest piece of advice is write it down on a bit of paper or a, a, something visual, a big calendar, so you can see what needs to be done and break it down into very small pieces and work away at it. Um, you need to continually work. You can't just kind of do uh, everything at 
on the due date with veterinary nursing because I think, uh, as we touched on earlier, the, the course is very full on and there's a lot to it and there's a lot to learn. So it's a, a constantly learning process. So make it easy for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really helps mentally as well to see that you're getting somewhere and that you're, you know, able to tick this off and tick that off. So I'm a huge fan of breaking it down too. Yeah. And are there any bad or old recommendations you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information? My thoughts on this are, I think that um, the old information um and I might be a little controversial in the fact <laughs> that uh, we have kind of had that general um, where no one is glorified cleaners. And I think we need to move away from that. And mm. I think we need as veterinary nurses mm. to be able to be entrusted with more if we are trying to increase our professionalism and our standards within the industry, I feel that we need to lose that old adage of, um, you know, we, we're nurses and we just kind of hold things. I think mm. vets should be able mm. to do the consult and hand the animal out the back to two or three nurses and say, right, I need this, this, this and this done. Um, and the nurses go and do it. I really feel that we need to be opening up to nurses doing more to be able to assist the vets more and reduce the workload for them. Absolutely. And it, and it all comes down to um, training within the practice or whether that be the vet doing the training or whether the, whether the vet is getting in an external provider so that they can be confident that nurses can do it. And I saw one of the um, veterinary businesses I follow on Instagram, I think they're down in Melbourne, I saw the other day that they were closed from one till four or something or 12 till four one day last week. And it was just a note to all clients. We're closed for in-house training. Sorry for the inconvenience. And that's a great thing to do. And as a business owner myself, I mean, you never want to be closed. You always want to be having consults because you think, oh, but we're going to lose X amount of money and we've still got to pay all the, these bills. Um, but at the end of the day, as you've said, you've then got a team that you can, um, the vet can say, we've just admitted this patient. Here's the paperwork. I, can you please run bloods? I want a urinalysis done, um, you know, and then we want prepping for an ultrasound or whatever and, and nurses can get all of that underway. Absolutely. I, I really feel with with the training that, uh, that we have, um, nurses are able to do that. Um, there's so many things that I think we are underutilised. I do understand that there are some... Um, some people that maybe aren't as competent as others, but mm. there are, on the flip side, many competent veterinary nurses out there. And I, I, I think it's it's changing, especially having worked in the UK and just seeing as or being um, a nurse in the role that you can undertake and the things that you were doing over there, I feel it's slowly filtering through to um, to Australia, but I do feel that we do have a long way to go with competencies and allowing the nurses to actually do more. That's right. And trust building as well and with our vets. And, and that's, I think, yeah. where CPD is really important too, to be able to approach your vet and um, or write them an email and say, here's a link to this webinar. Um, I think that as many of our nurses as possible should do it. It's talking about um, infection prevention and control with um, IV catheters. And um, if, if we could all do this and then maybe we could 
take this over and be responsible for any inpatients? Are we leaving their catheter? Are we changing it? Or there's a new patient coming in, let's pop one in. Um, and you need to be able to demonstrate to the vet that we're going to have everybody in the team competent to do this, or we're going to have certain people in the team competent to do this. And then they can be reassured that they're not going to have, um, be dealing with infection or be dealing with um, disgruntled clients or anything like that. Absolutely. And I think it's all about trying to aspire to be best practice. I, I think sometimes we get maybe stuck in a, in a rut because we think, you know, oh, well, that's how it was always done, so we're not going to change it. But I think don't, um, or my advice is to not uh, think like that and just be continually thinking, well, what can we do to make things better? How can mm. we streamline things? And try to be open to that. And I guess as a, as a team and um, through a lot of the, the team building exercises, as you've been saying, Kat, with, is you start to work as a team so you actually can accept those changes a lot easier. Mm. Um, it's that mm. the resistance to change can sometimes be a real stopgap within a practice and those that are happy to at least uh, think about change um, I think they're better off for it. So, yeah, um, even as you were saying with the infection control, it's not hard to have um, swab various areas within the practice and send them away each month and making sure that your cleaning regimes are up to scratch and mm. that you haven't got any mm. nasty bugs lurking within a, a mattress that you haven't cleaned properly or, you know, those kinds of things. And a nurse can quite easily be in charge of those those roles. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things I think that we can we can definitely definitely step up to um, to be able to build ourselves up, build our profession, and get get stronger within the industry. Definitely, and I think if it's backed up with research, and I think if it's backed up with well thought out suggestions, a lot of vets would be really open to these um, suggestions. Um, but they do kind of need to have a bit of thought put into them. Like, how would we make it safe so that only people who can do this are doing this? Or how would we make it safe so that we know that there are limits to, um, you know, our, yes, we've been told that we can do blood collection, but maybe not for patients where we're suspecting, um, you know, rodenticide toxicity or something like that. Like you need to have limits, you need to have it thought out, some good protocols. Um, but I think that if you're presenting that information, in that way where your vet or your practice manager is going to be saying, wow, they've pretty much nearly covered every objection that I would have, um, then you can start to move forward. Absolutely. It's the, you, you need to pre present, present the change, uh, but you can't just suggest uh, that it needs to be changed. You need to kind of think of all of the solutions as such or how, you, how that change can be implemented into a practice. And I often think, um, if we involve the very basics of the, the five W's and the one H, so the what, where, when, why, who and how, um, if you kind of include those in a presentation, you will make sure that you've covered off all those areas. And if you can't answer them, then maybe there it's not going to uh, cut the mustard as such. But That's right. yeah, absolutely. I think the presentation is right. Yep. And in addition to the W's and the H, um, I, I always like to see risk mitigation. So if we're looking at implementing um, oh, yeah. a new protocol, let's write down what could go wrong here. Um, this is what could go wrong. This is another thing that could go wrong. And then have, an, have it in a table. And then in your next column, write how are we going to prevent that risk. So um, if you're presenting all of those things, then it's really difficult for somebody to say, oh, this isn't really doable. They'll look at it and go, wow, this would be great. And this might mean that I can have have a cup of coffee before surgery. 
so true. So true. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> now, I know you've had a crazy year. In what ways do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue? Um, I think it really comes back to being able to talk to friends, um, mm-hmm. exercising regularly. Um, I I kind of look at my upbringing in the fact that I was born and bred on a dairy farm, so I was always from a very, very young age uh, involved with the kind of the, the death and the new life um, side of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that I'm a, I'm a lot more equipped with just internal processes of how to deal with those kinds of losses and then all of a sudden trying to deal with the new puppies that are coming in. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, so I guess that the, the biggest thing is to be able to tell someone when you maybe aren't feeling the best about something or to, to debrief after a particularly traumatic experience within the vet practice. I think that's probably really the more advice that I can suggest. Um, but for myself, yeah, it's, it's definitely being able to, to just talk about it, um, break it down and look at maybe how things could have been different the next time or what you could do to make a negative into maybe a positive. Yeah, take something away from it. And this next question might be, we might have already been um, touching on the answer to it. If you feel overwhelmed about life or work, what do you do? And I'm guessing you break it down. Break it down. Um, I often write things down um, with regards to making a little flow chart or what are all the things that are, what's what's too much. Um, if things do get too much, I make lists. Um, yeah. I have many lists at mm. the moment. Um, just again, to kind of not have it be all too much, you can then see it in all of the little areas that you need to address. You can tick off one thing as having done it or um, thinking about things or, you know, it, it's just really not letting it become the big monster that it could inside. Uh, we need to make sure that we stop that uh, becoming more than what it should be. That's right, because if time, if you let time go on, Mm -hmm. it does, yeah, and if you let time go on and you just are paralysed, the jobs just build up as well and then it does become a legitimate monster. So um, just keep keep on moving through the list. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) What is the main area of our industry that you think needs attention or improvement? Uh, Regulation of veterinary nurses. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... um, it really is an area that we are moving uh, moving towards. We're moving towards change within the industry. I can see it slowly happening, and mm-hmm. um, I feel that our relationship uh, between kind of vets and nurses we are we're really growing together and really increasing what we do within the industry and. I just I'd really like to see that become a, a more stronger bond and you know have nurses responsible for for things um, responsible for their actions. I feel that we need to be able to uh, as a profession be able to stand up and say, hey, we're veterinary nurses and we are you should be asking us questions as well as the vets um, because we know our stuff. Mm, definitely. 
I think um, in our practice, because we only had one vet for so long and he, he just became more and more and more stretched because we were advertising for another vet. But as you know, it, it's difficult recruiting vets at the moment. And so we just have, had to keep looking at everything that he was doing and thinking, can we take any more of these tasks away from him and get nurses doing it or can nurses make um, anything more streamlined and bit by bit um, we were taking on more and more of his roles and as much as in the early days I didn't think it would be possible clients eventually um, received it really well and, and part of it is how you present yourself so if the vet has asked you to be the one to you know as we we're saying before go explain the um, prescription diet in another consult room after he's finished the main part of the consult and made the diagnosis, you, instead of walking in almost apologetically thinking, oh no, they don't want to see me. They want to see the vet and just saying, hi, here's the prescription diet. You need to walk in and say, hi, I'm Kat. I'm a qualified veterinary nurse and I'm here to tell you about this diet. And, um, I'm actually trained to, to explain all prescription diets. And if you've got any questions at the end, feel free to let me know. And I'm also going to be able to be contacted just on the phone number here at any time. If you've got any issues now, here's, here's the rundown. And then a client will see you as someone with the authority to be doing that rather than be thinking, why, why am I not with the vet anymore? Absolutely. I think it comes down to the vet being able to say to the client, I'm going to leave you in the, in the trust of the hands of my veterinary nurse mm. um, who is then going to be able to talk to you about the, the nutrition. So I think it's, it kind of works in that whole we need to work together because the vets actually need to be the ones that are um, kind of letting the clients know that it's okay that they trust the nurse and yeah. the information that they'll be receiving yeah. from them. Um, we have got some vet clinics that are already having nurses carry out the, the basic TPRs and the animal health checks prior to a vaccination. Mm -hmm. So they'll then go out to the mm -hmm. vets and inform them with their findings. The vets can then come in and do a, a a quick overview, obviously, um, and it's just, again, just trying to think of any ways that can be uh, implemented to reduce the, the time load on the vets. Um, but no, totally agree. I think it's coming down to, to client inf information as well um, that yeah. they know nurses can help out. Mm -hmm. And this is where it's important, I think, for vet nurses to have the opportunity to do further um, studies in areas of interest for them, which you can identify by doing six monthly appraisals where you have a question for your nurses that says, what area are you really interested in? Or um, how could we help you develop further into an area that you're keen on? Because you end up having this natural distribution of different nurses who can help with different things. Like we've got one nurse who knows um, a lot about um, physio and orthopedics and she also does acupuncture as a side hustle and so she does all of the cruciate follow-up checks and she'll you know take the client through what they can be doing at home and she'll have a look at you know lameness and obviously it's it's um, she's liaising really close um, with the vet but the clients definitely can see wow, wow this is somebody who really knows their stuff um, and they're not concerned that they're seeing a nurse and if Matt used to get um, you know cats who are inappropriately um, eliminating in a household once he would have ruled out 
um, you know, a medical reason, he would get me in and say, okay, now, now over to Kat, because she knows a lot more about behavior than I do. And I know that this is not um, a medical issue and she's just going to take a quick history and have a chat with you. And I would take over the consult from there. So I think for nurses to really think about what area are you passionate in? Can you develop your studies further? And then can you put that forward to, to your, to your veterinary team and say, I know all about this. And if you've got clients that you need to hand off to, this is my bag. Like I got this. Totally agree. It's, it's so important. I think in, on the flip side of that too, we do have to be aware that you do actually know your stuff and that you aren't kind of running, uh, running with it. Um, Definitely. Because we have to make sure as a, um, as a profession that we are informing uh, our clients with the right information. So as you said, work with the vet to come up with a, a kind of a plan of how you would actually deal with those uh, questions or um, things that come in with regards to food or aftercare or any of the weight clinics or dental clinics and make sure that you do know your stuff because that's, we, we have to make, you know, that a priority uh, so clients aren't being given the wrong information as well. Absolutely. And you need a medical note for anything that you say to any client, um, be it, you know, weight advice or, you know, discussing um, behavioral issues. There always needs to be a medical note. And if you're, um, and if you're not, if you're not um, equipped with additional qualifications in those areas, obviously you should not be doing that at all. And even if you are, you should be probably checking in with the vet saying, so-and-so came in, um, hasn't lost any more weight. This is what I've suggested. There is a medical note. Yes, that's it. It's it's that two-way um, discussion with vets. We need to make sure that, you know, that open communication, it's the key. Absolutely. Well, it's been so nice chatting with you. I've just got one more question to finish up, Janet. If you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? Um, I actually had the opportunity to do this um, a couple of years ago at one of our conferences. Um, My student mentor who taught me um, probably 26 years ago or 25 years ago, I think it was when we actually met. Um, she was had come over from New Zealand to one of the Australian conferences. And I actually have a little photo with, that I got of the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so Steph McPherson uh, was instrumental in me really knowing that I wanted to do this as a career. And um, she was someone that I always said, if I could do exactly what she's doing um, for students, then I've won. And <laughs> I can pretty much now say I've won because I'm doing um, what what she did for me. So I, yeah, I absolutely thank Steph McPherson and probably one of the first vets that I worked with, um, Dr. Chris Hutchings from New Zealand as well. He uh, really guided me through, he allowed me back then to do so much more than what veterinary nurses were generally allowed to to do. And um, I think that absolutely shaped me as a veterinary nurse and um, gave me the confidence to really step up and and go and work in the Royal Vet College and work in, you know, various universities throughout the world. So I have, I guess, been very Mm. blessed with the people who have come through my life and, and helped address my career. 
It means so much when uh, when a vet nurse has a vet to thank for that opportunity because I know from experience that in order for a vet to give a vet nurse those extra experiences and training, it's basically their own time. It's making what they're doing in their day take a little bit longer here and a little bit longer there and maybe it means they have to stay at work a bit longer to do their notes or maybe it means they get a shorter lunch or no lunch. Um, but most vets I know are really happy to do that if it's a two way street and it's a nurse that really backs them up and helps them with their job. But I know it is such a personal um, sacrifice often that these vets make to really help vet nurses along. Um, And I think that it's really lovely because it makes a huge difference when a vet nurse is is able to be trusted to grow and develop and um, improve their skills. So I'm always really happy to hear that. It's Yeah, it is. It's really exciting when you hear uh, stories like that where, you know, the vet is, is allowing um, nurses to do things. Um, I had a couple of, like one vet at one of the universities that was like, Janet, you did put in the central line. I was like, what? We can't do that. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you do it. And um, there was vet students that she was like, no, no, Janet's doing this. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah. So to be able to have that trust um it's so important and i think it it just helps you to actually get in and really be passionate about what you do um and then it comes back uh to be able to pass it on to the next generation i think it's really cool absolutely yeah Absolutely. And it all comes down to, as we keep saying with our vet nurses and our vets, it all comes down to trust and respect. Um, and, and yeah, we, we see vet nurses having amazing experiences as a result and vets who are really happy in their job because we make their life a lot easier when things are going well. <laughs> Too true. excellent well it's been so nice catching up with you janet and i'm really looking forward to seeing you at the conference and i hope we see a lot of people at the conference a lot of new members signing up and a lot of interest in the abnat scheme and it's just such exciting times ahead i'm so so looking forward to the conference so um yeah please come and see me Uh, if you've got any questions um i will be floating around um i'll be in one of the blue board member shirts um and if not me then all of the girls uh will be there um on the vnca stand and we are absolutely happy to take any questions or queries about anything um veterinary nursing vnca avnat whatever so come and chat Excellent. I'll see you there. Yay. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.